our biggest wounds, our biggest insecurities, our biggest pains are really going to be our superpowers later on. So an example of that is that Anahata is the Sanskrit term for the heart chakra. This is what I'm here to study is heart love and unconditional love. And so in doing so in that journey, I'm going to have to look at the parts in my heart that are closed and locked behind dungeon doors. Welcome back, everybody. We are here for another episode of Comeback Stories. And today's guest is Anahata Ananda. She's the founder of Sedona's Shamangelic Healing Center. Anahata Ananda blends the compassion and tenderness of an angel and the wisdom and strength of a shaman to guide profound journeys of core healing and spiritual awakening. As a certified high-performance coach, shamanic healer, and soul guide, Anahata has guided tens of thousands of individuals through course shifts helping them to turn their life around and create the life of their dreams. Anahata masterfully creates a safe and loving space for inward transformational journeys that empower individuals to release their fears, open their hearts, and reclaim their power. Welcome to the show, Anahata. It's an oh, honor to have you. <laughs> it's so good to see you guys again. You were just here in Sedona, and it's such an honor to support beautiful men like you that are using your life lessons and the challenges that you've been through to help others on their journey. So it's my honor and my pleasure. And I love you both dearly. It's 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 a beautiful connection we forged. We love you. And just to set the context, Darren and I went and had a session with Anahata on Saturday in Sedona. And transformational would be an understatement. <laughs> she has left an impact on my heart. And I know Darren will speak on this too. It's healing, it's coaching, it's transformation on a whole nother level. And I know we'll get into that, but I just want to set the context because it will shape the conversation. And I'm sure we'll be referencing some of our own experiences that we had this last weekend. So we always get right into it on the podcast and we want to know what was it like growing up for you? Bittersweet for sure. I had a blast as a kid. Nature was my church and I had a lot of energy. So sports and gymnastics and climbing trees, whatever it was, I was all about being outside and adventure. And at home, it was a little scary. I would use one word around my dad in particular, it was pretty scary. He would go dark really fast and you never knew if you were going to be safe, if he was going to get physical or just verbally intense. And so I think that my escape was nature and sports. And I learned how to be good and not draw attention and kind of play small to not get my dad's attention. And I was also raised in a very loving family. Most of the time, it was fantastic camping and outdoor adventures and skiing. And I, I had a lot of love in my family. But that one little piece was really intense. And uh, nobody was really talking about it or address addressing how violent uh, he was at times. And so everything just got stuffed. I learned from everybody just to pander to it and put it under the carpet. And, oh, that's just how dad is. And he was so gregarious and loving to all of my friends. And I struggled a lot with reconciling this other part of him that I was very much afraid of. Can you talk about a specific 
early memory of pain that you had? Oh, spankings for sure. Yeah. I was playing with the puppies in the side yard, I remember, and I was having a lot of fun and I was picking him up and trying to move him from one part of the yard to another part of the yard. And so I was holding him maybe in a funny way because I'm a little kid and I don't know better. I'm trying to move all of them at once. And my dad saw that and he just lost his shit. He just went sideways and gave me quite a, a beating, a spanking. And it was really scary because I'm like, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what was happening. And I think that was that. I knew I didn't trust my dad before, but the first time he really hurt me physically, from then on, I hated him. And it, it began a seed of hate. Not, oh, I don't like him, but hate. And which made it challenging because you're a little kid and you got the rest of your life to grow up in the house. It's a question that we ask, especially in the beginning, because we always want to remind our people that pain is part of the shared human experience and it's actually what connects us all. But how do you feel like that pain and that hate somewhat hijacked your life? Yeah, I think for me, it closed a part of my heart. Anytime we have an abuser or an aggressor, or someone where we're experiencing heartbreak, because it can be emotional, or they're withdrawing love, and so it can feel like abandonment. In my case, it was physical abuse. And so anytime we feel a wound of any kind, where somebody hurts us emotionally, physically, energetically, or sexually, because I work with a lot of clients that have a full range of trauma in all of these areas. And a part of us shuts down and a part of our heart closes and our inner child begins to withdraw because we don't feel like we can trust and play. We don't trust the adults that are also responsible for our safety. Or once we experience heartbreak, it's hard to love again. When there's been a sexual trauma, then there's a lot of confusion in our sexual body and there's going to be a distortion, some kind of distortion around sexuality after that. And so I think what happens for me at that age, for me, it was five and a half, six, a part of me started shutting down because I was like happy and alive and vibrant and energized. I was a positive, playful, loving kid and a part just shut down. And I kept a lot of my vitality. But over the years, like a little part just shut down. And I was always at odds with my father because, you know, I didn't like him and he was the enemy. And so I wasn't going to get along with him because I wasn't open to seeing the good things. And my dad, let me tell you, he brought a lot of good things. He, you know, he taught me about nature and how to believe in myself. He encouraged me to do the best I can in sports and academics and brought a lot of great things to the table. But it was this bittersweet thing of like, how can you love me and support me and also treat me like this? And so it begins the confusion of relationships because you find that love is bittersweet and begins to create a distortion where we don't quite trust love. We don't trust people that we love. And so I also wasn't raised like most of us, maybe not raised with conscious communication of learning how to apologize, learning how to make amends or how to deal with conflict in a conscious way. And so I learned a lot of unhealthy communication strategies that, of course, I took into my later relationships that if things were frustrating, I either stuffed it 
or if they were challenging, then I got angry and aggressive verbally and um, just began a pattern in my life, even though I was on the outside crushing life, happy in many other ways. But there's this underlying dissonance where I started drinking and smoking at a young age because that's what the adults in my family were doing. And there was drugs and alcohol. My, one of my family members was a, was a dealer, a, a drug dealer. And my parents weren't doing anything about it. And I was like, hey, I, I don't think this is right. I think this is not right. And I'm the youngest one in the family, really confused about, I think all the adults have it backwards and I don't feel safe here. And even though 95, 90% of it was so good, so loving, so supportive, that five to 10% that was off, it was really off. It was really off. So it's, it's quite a confusing time. So if this is what you do, if you drink, lie, get aggressive and smoke, I think I'll start trying that. So I started at a young age. Yeah, I definitely hear a lot of confusion in that. And I know Darren can relate a lot to that confusion of growing up. We had Sarah Blondin on earlier. She wrote the book Heart-Minded and she talks about in the beginning, we're wholehearted when we're born. But then that first one happens, we sever, we leave the heart and we start to enter the mind. Because the mind, it's designed, part of the brain is designed to protect us. But that can lead to even more confusion because then you have the mind severed from the heart and can create some pretty poor decisions that are ideally trying to protect us, but really it's only hurting us more. It's an overcompensating. It's what we're doing because most of us that have any kinds of wounds or insecurity, we really don't have the tools or the support or the maturity modeled by those around us necessarily to support that healing because those people might have been the aggressor. And so they really don't have the answers to deal with it or else they'd be dealing with it. And so we're, we actually are taught to ignore things. We're taught not to talk about things. We're taught to sedate things. So it's actually an unhealthy reinforcement that when you have a pain, stuff it. And anything you stuff is going to have an unhealthy consequence. It's either going to create dis-ease in the physical body or turn into self-sabotage, you know, which is going to be sedating and addiction and picking fights and all kinds of different ways that we might self-sabotage, being promiscuous, getting into trouble. Or we could become the overcompensator. I need to be perfect. And if you feel out of control in some part of our life, then we're going to feel the need to control everything else. And it can become a very obsessive cycle to be perfect and straight A's. And that's the way I went. I was like, okay, I'm going to get straight A's. I'm going to be really good at, at athletics. I'm going to be involved in school, which gave me great joy. I had a blast in junior high and high school. It was just this one piece that never felt right. And when one piece doesn't quite feel right, that little bit of residue and dis-ease, and this is what we were talking about when you guys were here the other day, is like, what's the residue that isn't quite healed, that isn't quite clean? And that residue can really create a lot of suffering because it's going to want to work itself out. So it's going to attract situations that invite it to heal, invite it to be resolved. And we, it might take us five years, 10 years, 20 years before we have the support, the tools, the awareness and the maturity to actually go and look at those inner wounds way back 
that have been causing additional problems throughout life and additional challenges. And then we got to go clean up that stuff too. And we were talking the other day about how many messes we made from that place of wounding or unconsciousness. And then now we have a little bit more to clean up, but it is within our means to do that. And we just need the right support and the willingness and the courage to go in and do the inner healing work. And I wasn't able to do that until I was in my 30s. The residue framing that you gave us really resonated with me because you talked about how we got to look at the weak link because it can topple the whole thing. And that is something that I'm never going to forget. And it is my reminder that this is why the work will never stop. That's right. And our biggest wounds, our biggest insecurities, our biggest pains are really going to be our superpowers later on. So an example of that is that anahata is the Sanskrit term for the heart chakra. This is what I'm here to study is heart, love, and unconditional love. And so in doing so in that journey, I'm going to have to look at the parts in my heart that are closed and locked behind dungeon doors. That's going to be my dad. That's going to be that person that I've hated the most. And in that journey of healing, we've got to go to that. We did inner child work while you guys were here. We're going to go to that part of us that felt abandoned, alone, afraid, not enough. In my case, wounded and scared and unsafe. And we want to go to that version of us where the separation happened, where the pain happened, where we abandoned self or where we got pulled from self. And that's where we're going to have the deepest healing. And for me, in that case, if I'm here to love the power of the heart, its biggest gift is going to be forgiveness. And it's easy to love the people that are easy to love, the ones that love us back, the ones that are nice to us, the ones that don't judge us, it's easy to love those people. It's the people that have harmed or hurt us the most. That's where the test of the real love is going to happen. And if it wasn't for my dad and I thank him every day, he's with the angels now. He is by far my greatest teacher because no one could teach me about love more than him because I had to go through healing my own heart and loving my own inner child so she felt safe again and then go to seeing his wounded inner child and come to forgiveness and that's going to be the most powerful move for me and it's been the most powerful gift to awaken those parts of my heart that were locked down and shut off which was keeping me from loving myself loving other people loving life and if it wasn't for that i would never know or understand what forgiveness is the most powerful expression of my heart. So it took me a while because I didn't want to see it. It took me a while to realize, oh, he's my greatest teacher, not because what he modeled, but because what I experienced with him and the journey that I have to go through or get to go through for self-recovery to reclaim all of that. Now I get to help other people through that process because I've been through it. I know the steps, I know not wanting to forgive, and I know the cost of that. There's a lot of addiction, a lot of denial, a lot of chaos in my life. And when I was like, okay, it's time to do the real healing work. Because that time in my life, I was uh, 33 and a mother of twins. And I was like, hey, I can't pass this on. Can't pass this on. 
I got to do the work. As like looking into the eyes of, of, a, of a very beautiful, sensitive little boy and a very sweet, adoring little girl. And I'm like, I am not going to pass this on. It stops here. The bloodline of this karma of passing alcohol and physical abuse and stuffing feelings and being aggressive and bullying other people, it stops with me. And so that's what propelled me on my journey as an adult is to go and, and, and do the work, which is an ongoing process for sure. But that was a big time that propelled me into shamanic work for me, because for me, counseling wasn't getting anywhere. It wasn't, it wasn't quite going at the root cause of things. And so I went to shamanic work because that's deep shadow work where you can, as because you guys did shamanic breath work with me, that's deep work. And you, you, you let out feelings, rage, sadness, anger, grief. And we go visit that inner child and hold them and give them the compassion, safety, love, and reassurance that they didn't have. And then we start, you know, opening our heart again and allowing our inner child and our authentic self to shine without the limitations of anger or unworthiness. So it's been a beautiful journey and a blessing to be able to support other people through the process of transformational healing and spiritual awakening. Mm. Uh, something that we say on this podcast a lot is allowing your mess to become your message. <laughs> and it sounds like from the pain that your relationship with your father caused in the end, you were able to transform that into being the greatest experience that you've ever learned from or what that taught you has transformed your life in a positive way. And uh, that, those are the kind of messages that we like to you know, express on this, on this platform because it's not easy to see things that way. It's easy to take that pain and just hold on to it and, and get comfortable with it and, and make excuses and justifications over it. But to hear you say that's really changing someone's perspective and with the depths of spiritual wisdom that you do have and that we're going to continue to get into on this episode. You can't really get there without having gone through it. And that's something else that we like to communicate on here. That's right. Because if all three of us were just born in an ashram, walking on water and everything was perfect, then how could we relate to people? And how could I relate to somebody else? Like I understand addiction because I was using alcohol to numb and to relieve stress and it caused way more problems. It didn't make anything better for me. <laughs> it made things a lot worse. And it took me a while to figure out, oh, this is a poison for me. Alcohol is a poison. It's not making anything better. And it took me a while. And I really gave it a go, guys. And you guys did too. The denial that there is a core issue. And then the secondary denial of the way I'm sedating it, the way I'm numbing it is also an issue and that we're ignoring and avoiding that, it's a place where we hide. And I want to acknowledge each of you for the courage to come out and talk about these issues, because then we take them out of the closet. The core wounds we take out of the closet, whether that's insecurity, abandonment, whether that's a physical or emotional or energetic trauma, guilt and shame, we take it out of the closet and talk about it. And then we talk about how our coping strategies, which maybe weren't so excellent, but the best we had, maybe that's avoidance, maybe that's blame, maybe that is overcompensating, maybe that's alcohol, drug addiction, whatever it is. Then we start talking about the residue of those not really being the healthiest tools. So if we do the healing work and we talk about the core wounds and then we say, hey, what's a better tool 
than numbing? What is a better tool than blaming? What is a better tool than I'm not good enough and the inner critic just punching us in the face every day saying, you're not good enough, you should know better. And how can we evolve? Because that's what has been there for decades. Maybe that was socially reinforced. Um, So I think that's a journey of inner healing and then learning other tools to put in its place. So we have better resources and, and support to deal with challenges and we bring them out of the closet and we actually start supporting each other. So I have a question for you guys. When uh, we were going through our journey, which was deep the other day, when you're going through the shamanic breathwork journey, what was something that you saw or realized or took away that was powerful for you? Something powerful for me was being able to connect with the 15-year-old version of me and to you know, put my arm around him and walk with him through certain situations that he was going to come across and telling him about the things that I had learned, essentially, and just pointing out different obstacles and different little potholes along the way and saying, you don't have to go try to fit in with that crowd or you don't have to put these chemicals in your body. So these are all just temporary relief from problems, but not ultimate healing from problems. Mm-hmm. Relief is only just for a certain amount of time, but that pain's going to come back. So it was just showing him those things and him just being like, okay, like I get it now. And him respecting me now for returning home to the path that I could have been on all along, but really me going astray taught me more than me just being perfect the whole way. So it was cool to be in touch with that younger version of myself. And I feel like we all have to get there because we can be 40 years old and own a business and be somebody that people look up to in our community, but we could still be operating from the pain of our eight-year-old versions of ourselves. So I feel like me being able to get to that level in that breathwork session was extremely important for me. Yeah. I want to acknowledge that because one of the things that you had mentioned was about abandonment and this reconnection of you with your 15 year old self. Now he doesn't have to feel like he has to do this all alone and what you went through and you got to see your weaknesses and you got to see the pressures of what it's like at sports at 15. Well, where you are at now at the NFL, there's more pressure, there's more stress, there's more challenge. And you, you had to level up, you had to figure out in advance what the potential distractions are that could topple the whole thing. And now that you're super clear about so so much of that, this is why I think you're stronger than ever. And you're definitely going to have an epic season because you're all there now. You're all there. There's not a part of you left in the past. There was a part of me left in the past. Like you all in, all there and strong and present and capable. Like, that's unstoppable, dude. That is unstoppable. And I'm excited to see wherever you go, whether it's with football or anything else, like when we're whole, when we're committed and we're also aware of, you know what? I've already been down that path. That's a hard no. Or we feel the moment we start to self-abandon, whether it's about 
substance or something else, because there's a lot of ways to go sideways when there's a lot of power, fame and money. And you now know what it feels like to self-abandon and you've walked well down that path and back. So even if something else decides to knock on the door to invite you to pull off path, you already know what that feels like. And that commitment to self is really exciting to see. I heard you talk about before how we have these thoughts or perceived truths in our mind that we need to get rid of in exchange for a new story. That's what Donnie and I talk about on here. Donnie says it a lot. The only story that matters is the story that you tell yourself. I want to get into what that story was for you in just a second. I want to ask you, uh, what was your greatest moment of adversity in your life? Because we like to you know, bridge the gap for people that are listening that may be going through that moment of adversity right now. And for you to have all this wisdom, you've had to have already gone through it already. So what did that moment of adversity look like for you? I think that's a daily practice. I definitely think, Darren uh, and Donnie, that it's an ongoing journey. But I shared earlier a lot of my childhood adversity. And I took those things that were unresolved into adult life. So I took them into my marriage. I took them into career choices. And what that brought about was there were a lot of cracks in the foundation for me personally, that an unconscious communication, not knowing how to communicate with my husband at the time, both of us came into the marriage with overcompensating, lots of wounding, lots of alcohol to sedate and ignore issues, which we were able to navigate for a little while until twins came. Then when twins came, it put an extra pressure on all the cracks in the foundation. And where we weren't having clear agreements, where there was not support for each other, where we didn't know how to communicate around adversity and blame, you know, saying hurtful things to each other and not knowing how to resolve when you have hurt each other in an argument. I think that this is one of the tools to answer your question. I think one of the tools is conscious communication and clear agreements and clear boundaries that I was absolutely not equipped with in my adult relationships. I mean, I did my best. He did his best. But at some point, it was just not enough. It came to be an unhealthy relationship. And it was time for lots of reasons. I chose what I call a marital liberation, (laughs) which is also known as divorce which was really, I think that was my biggest adversity because for me at a soul level, my devotion to family is very high. The family unit to me is a high priority. And so it had to be really bad. And there are certain situations, and I won't go into those details, just to honor and respect all parties involved, but there are certain situations that I would actually choose the walking papers. There came a certain point where I'm like, okay, if this is showing up, I'm out. I just cannot, will not, at a level of integrity, I will not compromise when it comes to this, which meant I was going to be a single mom with twins. And I think that was my biggest adversity of, okay, I'm letting go of the family unit. But it was such a self-preservation choice. It was an integrity choice. If I stayed in that, the level of self-abandon and the level of chaos that would have ensued would have not been good for me and definitely not for the kids because I was so deeply committed to not pass these patterns on to my kids. I didn't want to be passing on anger, resentment, 
even just verbal violence and intensity. I wanted to bring happiness and an integrated version of myself to the parenting process. And I fell in love. I am deeply in love with my kids. They're twins, a boy and a girl. And again, my greatest teachers, because if any way I would be out of balance, I could see it in their eyes. I could see that if I wasn't in harmony internally, that it was going to come out and negatively affect them. And of course, I would never raise a hand to them. But I'll tell you, the intensity of unresolved anger or overwhelm or stress or worry and not having the tools. Yeah, I, I, I think that the biggest motivator was to be a better mom because I had so much love and we had such wonderful connections that I I needed to get my shit together, like at the next level. And so I was also coming out of that marriage with a lot of anger and disappointment and sadness and grief that I just didn't know how to process. Most of us don't know how to process our emotions healthy, our watery emotions. And we talked about this when you were here the other day, we talked about grief and sadness and depression as emotions that are asking for attention. And I didn't know how to process that. I learned how to throw alcohol at it or get back to work and shove it under the carpet. And clearly that wasn't working. The other thing is that I didn't know how to manage anger and I didn't know how to manage rage. And so I actually, instead of going to more traditional counseling, which for me wasn't really getting to the core issues quick enough, I went to shamanic work, which is what I, one of the modalities that I use now is that willingness to go deep into the shadow, like with incredible courage to go incredibly vulnerably into the pain, the anger, the sadness, and then visit it and allow it a safe space to express. And that was so cathartic for me, so healing for me. Decades of emotions that have been oppressed got released and the heart starting to awaken and connecting to my true essence of self was coming home again. I was finding who I was before all the layers of the stuff came on and I lost myself and then sedated myself and then guilt and shame for the choices made from those more unconscious places. So it was a lot of forgiveness, a lot of healing. And then I dove into personal development courses and work and training so that I could have better tools for managing challenges and communicating and clearer boundaries And it became a personal development journey that I took my kids on with me and it gave me the tools to be a better human, to be more whole, to be more playful, to be more loving and compassionate so that I could be able to be a conscious adult still co-parenting with their dad, even though we weren't together. It was like, just because you've divorced doesn't mean you don't still have to deal with being a co-parent with somebody that you haven't forgiven, like better get that sorted. And I dove in quickly because my priority was the kids. And to this day, this is the work that I do because I want to support other people that are going through challenges, whether they're sobering up or they're going through marital relationship challenges, or they're just wanting to step into their soul mission and they're, you know, really stuck on a path that isn't soulful. And so those are the journeys that I take people on and all of the tools that I learned and the journey that I've went through has really helped me be a better 
counselor and guide for other people going through a transformation. One of the things that I heard you just talking about and what you talked about to me and Donnie during our session was uh, about finding the residue, you know, what we were battling in our mind or things that we were bringing forward without even knowing what we were bringing them forward. And I want to ask you, how did you transform or eliminate that residue coming from, you know, a broken marriage into being a single mother, which can seem daunting and seems like, and it literally is the hardest task in the world today, in my opinion. How were you able to transform that story into a positive one where you can find the joy in such a great task instead of victimizing yourself and finding how it could be so hard, but instead of seeing it in a positive light, how were you able to do that? Yes, I, th- I thank you for that because you guys were sharing your stories with me about where your greatest challenges became your greatest medicine and you became stronger because of it. I think for me, it was the willingness. When you're on their personal development journey, you start awakening and there is a willingness that for me and for most of us, there wasn't before, but a willingness to look at my part willingness to go look at the pain instead of avoid it, a willingness to go heal the wound instead of just stuff it. And the transformation, I think, comes in multiple phases. One, let's go look at the wound. And because you can't get to forgiveness if you're still angry and hurt, because otherwise you're just bypassing. Oh, they did the best they could. And you start making excuses for the other people in your life. And that is not allowing your inner child to feel like you're trusting them, that they can trust you to not abandon again. And so the first step is, let me go deal with the wounds. So that was for me, the inner child, like way, way back, the divorce, I got to that after because that the first thing was the wounds from childhood that we talked about. And creating her some safety for the inner child, reparenting her in ways in which wasn't available. And this is for all of us, the reparenting work where there was a gap between what you had and what you needed. Instead of playing the victim over and over again, my parents didn't, or they should have, or he shouldn't have, that's what happened. Whether it was adoption, whether it was abuse, whether it was abandonment, whatever it was, or expectations, unrealistic expectations of perfection all the time, whatever it is, there's a gap for all of us. There's a gap. And we're going to go back to the inner child and be like, I got you now. And this is what we were doing during the breath work is bring that younger version of self home. And so I made a space for her. And I think this is very powerful is doing the inner child work and healing that part. And then we start looking at where did I give my power away? Where was there a boundary crossed? And we start reclaiming that energy that we lost. Where did I seek external validation instead of listening to my inner truth? Where did I seek approval of a family member instead of love and acceptance for what felt right for myself? And so I think that begins the journey of reclamation where we go back and look at all the places where we lost a part of ourselves, where we said yes when we really meant no, or where we took on somebody's stuff that wasn't ours. And so I think that is a journey of recollection and reclamation to become more whole. And we also get the lessons along the way. Oh, when I don't listen to my intuition and my red flags, 
I get hurt. When I stuff my feelings, I get drunk. And so we start to see correlations between the unconscious choices that we made. And yeah, we might've made those at six or 12 or 18. It's not about judging or criticizing that version of ourselves because heck, they did the best they could with often tools that are completely incapable. <laughs> A lot of the tools that we remodeled weren't working. And so we get to bring forward some compassion and forgiveness for those versions of ourselves that did the best we could. And so there's going to be some self-forgiveness. And then we start learning communication tools and learning how to have clearer boundaries and learning how to self-care and love again and what that looks like. And then we can get to forgiveness. It took me a long, long time, (laughs) many years of core healing and personal development work and tools for me to stand like in front of my dad and say, dad, I love you. And I'm sorry because I wasn't needing him to say, I'm sorry. I wasn't needing his validation. I knew he wasn't going to harm me. And I had reclaimed enough of my power and released a lot of my fear and, and wounds and anger so that I could just stand in my heart center and say, dad, and take full accountability. I'm sorry for the times that I hurt you. Not from a place of, because you hurt me first, but just my part doesn't matter whether it's 3%, 43% or 93%. If you're on the awakening journey, you are going to be meeting that space of being accountable for the messes that you've made and the people you've heard along the way. And not from a place of bullying, but from a place of integrity. If you've made a mess, if you've hurt somebody, even if it's 20 years later, hey, I'm sorry. So that was a big healing shift for me to have enough wherewithal to be able to stand in my father's presence and not fear him and not judge him and not expect anything from him and just stay in my heart and say, I'm sorry for where I hurt you. And it was very healing for the both of us. And that doesn't mean that they're going to change a darn thing. It's not about expecting, okay, now your turn to apologize. No. And he didn't. And he doesn't have to, because that's not what I need from him. I'm filling in that gap. I get to actually bring compassion and forgiveness to him, which was incredibly healing. He didn't have the tools and the consciousness or the ability to say, to be accountable and to say, I'm sorry. That was not within his means. And it doesn't have to be. I I have closure on my end. And now it's my responsibility if I'm choosing to be in that space of accountability is say, I'm sorry. It's powerful. And I think what I heard in a lot of what you just said was all healing, change, transformation, and love happens from the inside out. And I love how you broke down forgiveness where we have to go inward. We have to forgive ourselves. We can't bypass the stuff that lies within, right? Like you you had taught me that if we don't get to the core wound, if we don't dig it out and heal ourselves, it remains hidden. And then our subconscious still continues to make decisions from this place. And I think that is a big piece of even the residue. There's the big, there's the root cause, but then even the residue. And even earlier, we were talking about how that one 
piece of residue or the the weak link can trip us up and destroy the whole thing. And that's another nugget that I just, I'm never going to forget because what I hear is the work can never stop. The work can never, ever stop. And having access to someone like you, it just, I don't want it to stop. Even the tough work and even the tears and all of it, this is it. This is the process and it's freaking beautiful. Not always easy. It's it's not, and it is like the lotus, the the petals that keep opening up. It's a journey, but I will say it does get easier. The first steps are a little tough sometimes to look at your stuff or to go into places that you've been programmed and avoid and you've shoved under the carpet for a long time. There's lots of reasons why we don't want to go into the closet, like compassion for everybody that is standing at the edge of that going, I don't know if I want to open that can of worms. And what does happen? When you do the inner work, when you do the inner child work, when you do the shadow work, when you learn and take accountability and evolve your choices to be more conscious, what happens is it gets easier. That becomes your subconscious instead of the old program of I'm not enough. And so if there's a residue, I forgive everybody else, but I don't forgive self, then the inner critic is still going to be running the show. You're not enough. You should have been perfect. Even in the personal development journey, we're going to expect perfection. And it just isn't that way. And I'm falling and floundering all the time, guys. I think I'll teach something in that very same day. I'll trip over it. And so there is a level that I'm still dancing around of self-compassion and self-love that is still my classroom. And to just see everything as your classroom, whether it's an emotional intensity, like frustration, if there is like tension in a relationship or something that doesn't quite feel right, it's probably because something wants your attention there. And instead of steamrolling that, I've been learning and it's a process and some days are easier than others. Some days are better than others that we're able to catch that before it gets to a massive meltdown, a massive breakup. You're able to get at an issue because you're learning and you're growing and you're paying attention more. There's a lot more awareness. You're tracking yourself more, watching your emotions, watching when there's chaos, you see it as an opportunity, maybe not right immediately, but on the personal development journey, after you have your tantrum about the thing, then it's, okay, what is this teaching me? What is this showing me? What needs my attention here? what's wanting to evolve or heal or realign. And when we get curious about those things, we make the changes long before it gets to a massive meltdown or total chaos. And we get better. This is the great things that it's not always as challenging as it is maybe at the very beginning. It gets easier and we get better. And then what happens? We start showing others how to do it. When you are better at it, and you've moved out of a pattern, will then show other people how to get through it and be humble and willing enough to say, and I'm still working on this. It's a work in progress, but I have gone from A to B. Now I'm going from B to C and it's okay. There's going to be a lot of gentleness with self, but also accountability and honesty that keeps us on track. And yes, having mentors, guides, teachers, coaches that can see your blind spot. And Darren, let me ask you, what is a benefit 
of having a coach that watches what you're doing and how you're doing it to give you pointers to become better? Like, how does that help you? And how is that different than if you were just in your own space trying to see yourself? No, I feel like there's always going to be some, a little bit of a blockade between maybe our performance and how we go about doing things and like the true honest nature of it. If I do a certain thing on the field, I'm naturally going to want to defend why I did it because I've already, you know, built up some time with my reaction skills and how I like to adapt to things. But having someone there that can honestly break down that wall or honestly give me some advice that isn't to tear me down, but to help continue to build me up. That's a very valuable angle and and a vantage point that I need because when I'm in the fire, I'm not always as aware as I may want to be because I'm just so locked in on getting something done or moving to the next step. But there's a maybe an underlying lesson in there that I may not always be aware of that somebody standing in a different angle can see. And if I can have that, that's what makes you know team and community so valuable. I'm not the player that I am just by myself. I need people that are pouring into me and being like, oh, okay, like I see why you did that. But why not try this? Why not sprinkle a bit of this in there? Try this. And that's what allows me to keep my mind open. I feel like being coachable is one of the greatest qualities that somebody can ever have. They want to keep elevated. So it's great to have that angle. You know, we, we always think we know how to do things the right way. And there are a lot of times where we, we do know and we do have a great knowledge for things, but there are plenty of times where that's not always the case. We may need a different viewpoint on something and we never know how transformational and impactful that viewpoint could be. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I think two things you said, hey, a coach that can see something that I can't, I think that's super valuable, especially when you're going through your healing journey is that somebody might be able to identify your blind spot or where you're leaking your energy or where you're giving your power away or you're not speaking your truth or you don't have the skill to communicate a clear boundary. I think in personal development, that's really valuable, definitely. And the other thing that you mentioned is team. I think it's super important to have a tribe around you that want you to shine. And that might mean that all of us have maybe shifted out of certain circles of friends or party buddies or whoever, where maybe not the best version of us is nurtured in those circles. And so the other thing that's important on the personal development journey is to surround yourself with people that are also wanting to be the best version of themselves, that are not stuck in the patterns of blame and shoving their issues under the carpet, because those are not necessarily habits that you want to be around or improve. And surrounding yourself with a tribe of people that are also walking the journey of personal development, that are working on these things, maybe they just learned a thing that they can help you or you learned a thing or you can encourage them to get back up or to get out and write the book or take the next level of their dreams. And I think that your the tribe is going to be very important in personal development. And I had to leave. I chose to, to let go of certain circles of influence that were negative or victim-oriented or that lack consciousness or just not dealing with their own issues and sedating a lot or avoiding a lot. And I'm like, 
these are not the people that I want to have surrounding me. They don't want the best for me. And I want to surround myself with people that are really rocking this, like living their best life, all in that I respect. They're in integrity. They are doing their work and they're making a difference and they're being impactful in life. And that's why the three of us were attracted together because I see you guys doing that. You're doing your work. You're showing up. You're humble and honest. You're improving all the time. There's a desire, teachability, coachability, like you said, Darren, there's a desire to improve. And for both of you, I see such beauty in the impact that is having on other people. And I want to surround myself with people that are impeccable leaders and that choose to be doing impactful work that's making a difference and leading people in the right direction in life. Thank you guys, because you're my people. <laughs> your vibe attracts your tribe. Yes, exactly. And we get to see what our tribe was in our lowest moments. The conversations, the media, how we spent our time, what was our values, what was important, how we spoke about ourselves, how we spoke about other people. And like that is really shifting. So I have a question for each of you guys again, because we brought this up earlier is what was, because we, one of the questions I asked you guys while you were here is let's identify some of that residue that might still be working in the unconscious that the journey helped to bring awareness to. So what was something, we'll start with you, Donnie, this time. What was something that you feel is a residue that is getting in the way for you or that is like looking for evolution or involvement? A big piece of it for me is just it's the the inner child and to be able to write these new tenants. We've been bringing up the four agreements a lot lately and this whole idea of domestication and agreeing upon certain things because that's just what we do. We give our power. We put our parents and teachers on pedestals and we believe that they have the truth. And I think for me, I know my parents were doing the best they they could with what they have. And it's so much easier today to invite compassion in and understand the way they were raised and the tools or lack of tools. I don't think they were having conversations like this. I just don't think they were accessible. So it allows me to own it and, and, and stop blaming and also offer compassion and forgiveness to understand that they were just doing the best they could with what they had. And for me, it's all to be able to see this new truth and again, rewrite or break, if you will, the generational dysfunction, which I think even if you think you have the perfect family, I can promise you there's generational dysfunction in there somewhere. And to me, it's about legacy and just leveling it up and not using what I saw or what I didn't get or what I got as a kid as an excuse to basically hijack the rest of my life. So it's just ownership. It's taking ownership and taking personal responsibility to look at my stuff every single day through my own coaching, get, getting coached, getting help, journaling, and just really understanding that I have to stay in the work because that word residue is resonating a lot with me these last couple of weeks as you've mentioned it. And I just want to be free. 
You mentioned willingness earlier, and that word runs so deep for me because I believe willingness equals freedom. They equate because the more willing I am to do the work, look at my part, the more willing I am to be of service, the more willing I am to go to any lengths, the more free I can be. And when I'm not, I have a little mantra pattern interrupt I use, and I say, Donnie, how free do you want to be? And it brings me right back to my rock bottom because I don't shut the door on that. That is what fuels me into action to get off of my butt and pick up the phone when somebody's maybe calling at an inconvenient time for me that I know needs some help. That's what comes up, that question, and it just stops me in my tracks every single time. And I always say, it's not about freedom for myself, it's freedom from myself. Mm. And in that is like the essence of service and just being and the work, and that is freedom. And I just want to be free. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we're not making a difference and that we're just a Peter Pan. It's also the freedom to level up, but the also freedom to create a life that is not bound by contractions or old wounds or limitations. What I'm hearing, which I love, is that forgiveness of what our parents or our ancestors brought to the table. If totally optional here, if we're participating in evolution, of our species, then it's our responsibility to improve upon what was given us. It's our responsibility. Now, if we're choosing not to evolve, we can just stay in the tantrum victim space and squander life. And then at the end of life, not have contributed to the evolution of humanity, which is totally optional because we have will. And At a soul level, the people that are tuning into this know that they're here to evolve or they wouldn't be listening to this podcast. They wouldn't be your fans or they wouldn't be your followers if they aren't actually wanting to level up, be impactful, make a difference in life and follow their soul mission and not just go through life as a flat line and at the end be filled with regret or indifference about life. This is about living all in. So, of course, we're going to have to release the shackles and break through the limitations that we acquired through our programming or heal the wounds that created a separation that aren't allowing us to really or providing us the empowerment to go forward, really creating a thriving life, clear of residue. Good. I love that. I love that. Okay, Darren, what about you? Where are you Um, tracking some residue for yourself right now? Nope. The residue that I recognized was uh, seeing how much my life was built around avoiding rejection. Um, you know, when I was younger, uh, you know, constantly being told that, you know, I wasn't black enough just because of the way that I talked or, you know, dressed or carried myself. Things like I remember I was in sixth grade and I had like a girlfriend or whatever. I show up at this little party teen club area and she was another guy there. And so the moments like that stick with you going forward. It's like, all right, how do I do everything from here on out to not feel these feelings of rejection anymore? And then it turns into as I'm older, it's I'm willing to do these things that are so out of character for me just to impress them. And that that, that turns into I'm not creating any boundaries because I wouldn't want you to be disappointed in me and you no know, reject me even further. And that turns into wanting to perform to please you, wanting to do everything to to please you instead of pleasing myself. And that creates that distance between me and that younger version of myself who's just sitting there. What happened to me? 
And so it was just that residue was on everything that I was doing and how much of my existence was crafted around avoiding rejection instead of being, you know, unapologetically me. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because that's, that's really tender. And a lot of us want to avoid pain and conflict and heartbreak and disappointment. We don't want to disappoint people. And that what we were talking about uh, uh, when you guys were here is how that creates self-abandonment so that I please you at the expense of me. And that there's going to be so many people asking and wanting and hasn't that changed the people knocking on your door Darren that wants something hasn't that changed from 15 to now yeah it's uh, yeah it's changed a good amount <laughs> yeah it's changed a good amount so we don't want the sixth grader making decisions today right. that avoids conflict and doesn't want to disappoint people we don't want that stagnated, stifled version of you making grown-up decisions that have big consequences right now. We were talking about this while you were here. This has to be a master move. This has to go from a sixth grader to a master level that says, hey, your demands are your demands, but I'm responsible. The grown-up version of me is responsible for my heart. I'm responsible for my health. I'm responsible for my sobriety, for my finances, for my time. I'm responsible. And you get to be really great at saying no. The more fame you have, the more money you make, the more knocks on the door for endorsements, the more knocks on the door for ladies. I'm sure that there's plenty of women that maybe at sixth grade, it was like, oh, there's a couple girls that like me. Look, you're a catch, right? And so there's going to be a lot of women knocking on the door. There's a lot of people knocking on, on the door for your time. And the bigger you get that the, the more it levels up, the more this residue has to be a master move instead of a sixth grader making those decisions. Because you already know what the cost is. You've already been to rock bottom. You know what the cost is. But if the residue there, you at least know you're not going down that with substance. But if the core issue of I still don't want to disappoint people isn't fully integrated, then we'll still self-abandon for the fans, for the coach, for the players, for a woman that you really care about, for mom and dad. There's still going to be those opportunities to test how you doing with this one. Why I asked that question, because each of us, as we grow, the cracks in the foundation are going to be tested. Just like when I was on a podcast with Aubrey, we were talking about, hey, when you're just lifting your body weight, it's one thing. But if you have a, a fracture and you go to, to, to power lift, you're putting a lot more stress on that fracture and you won't be able to hold that weight. So we all three of us and everybody listening is, is being called to level up. Well, if you're leveling up and you're growing, any cracks in the foundation are going to be tested. It's not, yay, I'm growing. Things are fabulous. There's a new set of wings. I'm just going to experience prosperity and love. Everything's going to be easy. I'm making all this money and fame and blah, blah, blah. That's awesome. And 
any weak links, any cracks in the foundation are going to be amplified. Like my marriage, we were doing fine until, oh, here comes twins. (laughs) Like, okay, that just amplified all the cracks in our foundation. We didn't know how to manage stress. We didn't know how to get help. We didn't know how to communicate. We blamed each other and it, it fell apart. It fell apart. Yeah, for sure. And this is where we get to lean into those cracks in the foundation and say, okay, if there's something that's feeling like that, oh, I don't want to disappoint them. Listen to your inner dialogue. And then you'll be able to become more aware. Oh, I just said yes when I really meant no. I love how much awareness that words come up and I can't tell you I feel like I'm more awake and more aware than I've ever been. And I give you a lot of (laughs) credit for shining the light. Obviously, it's a team thing, but to be able to do it and bring us in a safe space that feels motherly and safe and, and loving, I do feel more awake than ever. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm curious for you, what are you most grateful for today? I'm grateful for the people that are in my life that like I've really up-leveled the caliber of the people that I work with, that I play with, that I hang out with, that I dream about life with. And I feel so nourished at a soul level by the tribe that I'm creating. The caliber of individuals inspires me. I feel supported and seen. I can be a hot mess. I can have a big dream. I can be going through a wobble. And I know that these people have my back. But at the same time, they would be people that I could play with and laugh hysterically and be incredibly silly and in a totally sober environment. And so I think I'm really grateful for the caliber of people that I'm surrounding myself with. And I, I, I'm like, have so much to love and give into those relationships. So they're grateful and appreciative and respectful of what I'm bringing to the table. And it's just, I feel so excited about that. Of course, my relationship with my kids, because I did a lot of that inner work, we have great adult relationships. They're 23 now and we're close. They tell me everything. And they want to hang out with their mom. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) We're rock climbing and playing games and we're planning a backpacking trip, just the three of us this summer. And I feel grateful that I can be a better human and a beautiful, loving soul in my relationships. And I love what I get to do in this life. I unchose working in New York City in corporate like suit and the whole deal being very professional and successful but it was soulless work I was good at it I was acknowledged for it and I made money for it but I wasn't as lit up and alive about the work that I do like I am now I love that I get to support people through their healing journey. I love that I get to work with men like you that are pillars of light in the community and that by just supporting you guys, even just a little bit, and if you hold stronger, then I know the foundation will reach 
thousands and thousands of kids. I know your podcast will change thousands and thousands of lives. And that lights me up. I'm so grateful that I get to be an earth angel. I get to be a spiritual cheerleader. That's, that's so cool. (laughs) This is what I get to do. Get to hang out with guys like you. Like life's great. Life is great. Somebody needed to hear that. The fact that you were willing to choose work that is in alignment with your soul and with who you are at the, you know, essence of your being above, you know, what looks like success on the surface or what looks like it would please people in the moment. But really, it's just fading. It's just fleeting and things that don't fulfill us, really. Um, And on that note, if you had a piece of advice, maybe a quote, maybe a phrase that you would give to the younger version of yourself that was struggling to find her way, struggling to find her role, her niche in this world, what would you say to her? Follow your heart. You're enough. And be you. Do it your way. And play and laugh along the way. Like, live life from your heart. And live it for yourself first, because then from a full place, You'll be able to bring creativity, joy, gifts, your passion, your most powerful gifts. You'll be able to give those from a full place. And uh, follow your heart, 100%. Follow your heart. That's always going to lead you to the place that brings you the most joy in life. Yeah. Follow your heart. And then what, what would you say to somebody who maybe knows the biggest thing holding them back, but doesn't know what to do with it. What would you tell that person? Come and visit me. So I would say, Hey, and this is just one of my, one of my teachers said, Hey, follow those people that are getting the results that you want. So if you know that you want to go somewhere, but you don't know the how, and somebody is already there, go study, go train, go learn from that person someone who's getting the results that you are looking for, whether that's in health or finances or in relationships, follow the people that are getting the results that you want. There's lots of things where all three of us and those listening didn't know the how. So we either figured it out through trial and error on our own, which is a big, steep learning curve. And, or we also say, hey, who's done this before? What do I need to prepare? If I wanted, you guys saw from my living room, a beautiful summit here, Thunder Mountain. If I want to get to the top of Thunder Mountain, what do I need to get there if I've never been there? Okay, I need to know the trail. I'm going to need water. I'm going to need a hat. I'm going to need to probably train a little bit because it's a tough hike. I've been up there. And so having the GPS figured out is great. Then it's like, what do I need to do to prepare myself to get there? I might need a tool. I might need, if I have a wound or an injury, I might need to heal that first before I go take a 10 mile hike. And so learning, preparing, and then you just got to take the steps and the steps will start to teach you your steps. The more aware your steps are, you'll start to feel like, am I enjoying this? Am I going on this summit because it's somebody else's summit or am I following somebody else? Because I'm not, I don't really know what my summit is and enjoying the journey. 
And I think we, we're going to need to learn maybe some tools or skills that we don't currently have. And you'll get lost and you'll feel it. And so you might need to ask for directions to get back on path or to backtrack your steps to get back on path. Yeah. Surround yourself with people that have gone from A to B. I think that's really important. And then listen, because even if they have certain advice, you still get to sort it and filter it through your inner knowing. Like on the field, Darren, there's certain things that your body just knows. You know, there's certain instincts you have that are spot on. And someone from the sidelines can give you advice. And that's fantastic to refine a skill, to look at a play another way. That's fantastic. And there's something really powerful at our, uh, about our intuition to guide us about what feels in alignment and what doesn't. Even if the expert of experts is saying, hey, you need to do this, there's going to be those times where our inner knowing is like, it doesn't feel right. And it's not coming from a place of fear or doubt. But mm, this doesn't quite feel right. And the courage to follow that. Yes, that, that's yeah. incredible. Finding that balance between being open-minded and willing to listen to what others have to say and be open to change and growth. But at the same time, there's something in us. There's a spirit in us. There's a voice in us that knows what we need. We're not broken. We don't necessarily need fixing. We just need fine tuning. We just need to, you know, clear off some of that clutter that may be on top of what's in us that's trying to get us on the right path to, to ourselves. So I think that is uh, very valuable. And going back to the idea of team and community, we know that in order to write our comeback stories, you know, we can't do it on our own. So we'd like to finish off by asking you if you could give a comeback story shout out to one person that maybe has helped you the most on your journey, has shared the most with you, uh, supported you the most, um, who would get your comeback story shout out? There's so many. There's so many. I think initially the first shamanic healer that helped me completely release a lot of the shadow density was, that was a game changer. But I have had so many different friends or family members show up at different times to provide incredible amount of support for me. And different people show up for the journey, depending on what I needed at the time, whether that was a model, a role model, or somebody that had a tool or a book or a lesson that I needed or just encouragement or a shoulder. And my journey's been like 20 something years now, 24 years now. It's been a team of people, <laughs> beautiful teachers, family, friends. And of course, I have to say my father has been by far my greatest teacher because I got to have access through my relationship with him to the most beautiful parts of my heart so that anyone that walks in the door and I have clients that are all walks of life that are ex-cons 
that have been convicted of rape. I have people from all walks of life, people that are cheating in marriages right now that are like in it's sex work, people from all walks of life. And they all have the same level of compassion from my heart. And I could not have gotten to that place to be in able to access non-judgment, no matter what the story is. And it stretches me sometimes, but my dad stretching me first in the heart space by far has provided the most powerful tool that I have today is my ability to love somebody regardless of what they're going through. And that I think is a healing gift. I couldn't, could not be having without him. So shout out to my dad. Shout out to dad. Where can our guests and the people listening track you down? Cause you must track her down. And if you're in Sedona, you better find her if you really want to take your healing and take your awareness and awakening to a whole nother level. First of all, free gift. We didn't mention this before, but I want to give um, everybody a free guided visualization to balance the feminine and masculine within. So it's a cool guided visualization to up level from the toxic feminine and masculine into the more healthy feminine and masculine. So that's a free gift. Let me love you first. Yes, shamangelichealing.com. Imagine it'll be in the show notes. I'm on Instagram at Anda. And in the show notes will be the link to the free gift. I'm here in Sedona and I do private sessions, groups, and I know that you're going to bring a men's group here soon here to Sedona. And so anytime you want to bring tribe here or you've got friends or a group of people, then we can do a shamanjelic breath work like I did with you guys. And there's online coaching and things like that. And there's online courses. And a lot of people are loving the shamanjelic healing podcast because that's a free way to get access to great content because I go deep. We're going to have both of you guys on the show. So uh, stay tuned for more of this magic that we're creating. And uh, so that's the Shamanjelic Healing Podcast. And you can find me here in Sedona. And I'm so grateful to each of you for being role models, for being vulnerable, for being courageous, and for walking your journey publicly so other people can learn and watch as you do this. And so I'm so impressed. I'm so grateful. And have so much love and respect for you, brothers. I know it's just the beginning of magical things that we're going to be creating together. So thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you. We want to uh, acknowledge you right back. The level of transformation and healing, and like I mentioned earlier, the awareness and just your love and ability to hold space and your willingness to come on and make time for us. I know how busy you are, so <laughs> it is certainly a gift, an honor, and a blessing to have you on comeback stories. So yes. thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so I love much. It. Thank you for helping us, you know, dive way deeper than you know the world around us may want to go. We want to stay where it's comfortable, but you helped take helped us take it to a very, you know, uncomfortable level. And uh but through that there's healing and through that there's transformation. So uh, thank you for on behalf of all the people that you've worked with and all the people that are listening and that will be transformed by you. Uh, thank you. We appreciate you. Oh, yes. And for those of you listening, you're our people. 
right? Thank you. The three of us want to recognize you are already a comeback story if you are investing this much time and energy in up-leveling your mindset and getting new tools. And we just want to thank you, listeners, and please share this podcast. These guys are doing amazing work and you guys are the comeback story. Let's have more of these comeback stories. And I want to thank everybody listening and thank you guys. I love you and it's just the beginning. Magical things ahead for sure. This is what I represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, but every king's gonna get crowned.